Well, perhaps the most influential pastor or preacher in the past 200 years is a man named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And his church in London called the Metropolitan Tabernacle quickly grew to be a church of many thousand people. It was not common in his day for churches to grow to that size, and many would come to visit him and say, what's the secret of what you're doing? And when he would give them the tour of the church, the first place he would take them was to the basement. And he would take them to a place that he called the engine room. And in the engine room, you would find men and women on their knees praying to God during the service. He said, this is the power of our church. God acting, God responding to his people through church. He said, I would rather teach one man to pray than teach ten men to preach. Indeed, a sign of the spiritual health of the church and the people of the church is their prayer life. Well, to those I don't know, my name is Pastor Steve Winstead, and today we are in the book of Matthew, in a section called the Sermon on the Mount, looking at Jesus' most famous sermon, and it reveals and covers all areas of Christian life and how we're to live. And in this sermon, Jesus is comparing God's standard, the true heart standard of God, with, with the misunderstood human and often religious standard that is different from God's heart. We're going to look at a passage today that is often misunderstood. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. If you don't have your Bibles, you will find the words on the screen behind me. But let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 7, 7 through 12, it reads, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask Him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the Word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, Praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word does declare that all men are like grass and all our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. God, may this be the word that is faithfully preached today. We acknowledge unless you speak, there is nothing of any true eternal significance spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, last week and this week, we've been looking at this part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount that begins to get to our relations with other people. 
And it's all under verse 12, which 12 is called the golden rule. Summed up, it means do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And last week we saw that Jesus was saying, hey, we don't want other people being judgmental to us. So that's not how we are to be. And this week he's getting into prayer. And the heartbeat of our passage is these three words. Ask. Seek. Knock. This is the the heartbeat of what he's getting at. And I think if I ask any of you, if you're a Christian here today, if you've been in church any length of time, is prayer important? I venture to say most people would answer, well, yes, I believe it's very important. But then if we shined the light on our own lives and said, what does the testimony of my life say that I believe about the importance of prayer, we might all realize that though we believe prayer is important, our lives may not declare it as such. Now, this is a, uh, when we talk about prayer, it's an easy subject for me to make people feel guilty, for me to make you feel shame that your prayer life doesn't measure up or your prayer life uh, doesn't match. But that would be a wrong application of this sermon. You see, if your prayer life, if you increase your prayer life, if you pray more merely out of guilt or shame or feeling like it's not right that I don't pray enough, therefore I need to do the right thing and pray more, then you have misunderstood the heart of this text. And I think as we journey through this, we're going to see that there is, for the Christian, a great desire, a, a, a great pull to pray and be a people of pray, prayer. But here's what happens. The enemy loves to keep us from praying. So know this, there will always be a battle going on in your life for prayer because he does not want you to be connected to God Almighty. As I mentioned, this text is often misinterpreted, misunderstood. It says, ask and you will receive. Think of everything I asked for, God gave me. Or if everything I sought, God handed to me. Or if every time I knocked on the door, that door opened. Think how my prayer life would change. Think how your prayer life would change. Every time you pray, what you ask, it's given to you. Every time you seek, you find it. Every time you knock, that door is open. That would radically change our prayer life. Yet that interpretation is a misunderstanding of what the heart of this passage is. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's doing heart surgery. He's examining our hearts, not so much our actions. Our actions should flow out of the heart, but he's examining where is your heart in this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, I'm going to start midway through the verse. Listen to what it says. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So know this, there are things in scripture that can be hard to understand. And there are things in scripture that someone can twist and they can twist it and misinterpret it, misunderstand it in a very harmful way. So here, when you look at scriptures, a couple things you've got to do. You want to allow scripture to be the interpreter of scripture. 
That means you go to other scriptures. What is it saying? You allow scripture to speak truth into the context you're in. Also, you always look at the immediate context. What is going on in this context? And we're in a context where Jesus is speaking to his followers. And here's what he's telling his followers. Here's how you live with a heart for God. Here's how you live as kingdom people. And he's comparing that to the religious leaders who live a religious life, outwardly religious, to show other people. It's not about God for them. It's about display. Look at how they pray. And they become proud They become puffed up in in how religious they seem. That's why Jesus starts the sermon, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's pushing back on, hey, we're not to be arrogant and proud. No, we're to be humble. He says, blessed are those who mourn. We are to have a mournfulness over our sin. When you see your sin, it should break you. And you should mourn that there's still sin in your life. And that should make you do what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. So Jesus is aligning our hearts with the heart of God. He speaks of prayer in chapter 6, giving us a model for prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. I told you a few weeks ago, only one thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them. Teach us to pray. They want Jesus. They saw his prayer life. They didn't say, Jesus, teach us to preach. Jesus, teach us to heal. Jesus, teach us to do miracles. No, Jesus, what we want to learn from you is how to pray. And Jesus repeats that same model prayer to them in Luke when they ask that question. Where we've been recently, our most recent context in this, Jesus speaks on this, treasure on earth versus treasure in heaven. And he pulls to the most common treasure on earth, money and possessions. And he says this, where your treasure is, don't miss this, This is key to understanding our passage today. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. And he goes on after that to speak of being anxious. Don't be anxious about anything in this world. Don't be anxious. Now, we all talked a couple weeks ago. Every one of us struggles with anxiety. We all struggle with worry. And that worry, that struggle with anxiety, is meant to pull us back to God Almighty. It's meant to make us rely on Him. But also our worry and anxiety reveals something about ourselves. Where your treasure really is. You see, if you don't care about something, you don't worry about it. There's no anxiety if you could care less about it. So if you want to know what is the heart treasures that you have, the treasures that you have that are either taking the place of or competing for priority in your life over God, look at what you worry about. For any parent in here, I'd venture to say most parents worry about their children. That's common. We all worry about our children, but there's a place where our worry for our children becomes our greatest treasure. Our children, we treasure them more than we treasure Christ himself. So even something that's really excellent that God has placed in our care, like children, beautiful thing, praise God. But Christ is number one. He's overall. So all these things, we reveal that maybe our, our, th- our material possessions, our jobs, our prestige, our power, 
power, our marriage, where we live, whatever it may be, these things that we tend to worry most about are the things that are going to compete most for number one position in your heart with God. So worry reveals to you something very important. I venture to say we've all gotten worried over the last day, last few weeks, and we can look at ourselves and see what is God revealing to us. Now, Jesus said this. He said, do not judge lest you be judged. Right after that, because here's what's happening. Whatever your heart treasure is, you judge other people by that. So if your treasure, let's go back to your children. We should treasure our children, just not above Christ. But if you treasure them too highly, you start looking at every other parent going, they're not as good a parent as I am. I wouldn't parent that way. And you start judging everybody else. Or if wealth is your priority, if wealth is your heart condition, your treasure, then you start looking and going, well, I'm, I've got more than them. I'm in a better position than them. And you start judging everybody. So what you do, the thing that you treasure most in your heart, you judge other people by. So he's revealing to you, how do you know what's your great heart treasure? What do you worry about? And then what do you worry about? He shows us here. You're going to judge people by the things that you worry about that are outside of God. Now, a bit of encouragement today. No one can really see what's going on in your heart. They may get glimpses, but your actions will just give a glimpse. So when we talk about prayer... No one else can be in here judging anybody else or looking at this. This is for you. Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. He's doing heart surgery, but he's doing it on you. It's not to be applied where you go, the person next to me really hears this. I'm glad they're here. No, Jesus is getting at your heart and what's going on with you. So you have to listen and allow him to speak. This is about you and God. And here he starts off in verse 7. Ask, seek, knock. All three of those words in the Greek are what we call present imperatives. Now, that's important. I'm telling you this for a reason. And present imperative, the word present has this idea. You ask, but you keep on asking. Don't stop asking. You seek, but you keep on seeking. You knock. But you keep on knocking. And when we say it's an imperative, that means it's a command. This is Jesus Christ commanding us, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Don't stop doing these things. And these three verbs all grow in action, activity. To ask, you don't have to move. To seek, you may get up and move. To knock, it requires even more action. So there's an intensity that's growing in your movement in these things. Now these all have a promise. Listen, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you're going to find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. So here we, we see that all of these have a promise but here's where we struggle. God, I would like a lot of money. I'm asking for a lot of money, God. Where is it? 
God, 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 I'm asking for a new car, or, or, or God, I'm asking for, or I'm asking for children, or God, I'm asking for a spouse, or, or God, I'm asking for a new job, or we can ask for any number of things, and we look at this promise and go ask, and it'll be given. Well, God, why aren't you giving? Why aren't you giving me what I want? You see, that would be a misunderstanding of this text. All of us, every one of us, have prayed to God and asked God and seen Him not answer that prayer exactly like we want. You see, actually, if every time you ask, God gave you what you wanted, your prayer life might increase, but it would end up destroying you because we don't know how to ask for that which is good. We'll, we'll see that in a minute. But here's the thing. God is to be our greatest treasure. We get our treasure revealed to us. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Is your treasure Christ? Is He your greatest treasure? Or is something else your great treasure? It gets revealed to us as we live life, as we see what we worry about, as we see how we judge others, as we see how we do all these things, as we see what we pray about, we often see, I have a greater treasure than God Almighty. Do you go to God just to be present, to be with God? You go to Him as a first option? Or do we go to God when it's a last resort? God, I'm in trouble. God, I need help. I'm so desperate now that I'm coming and asking God. I've reached the point that I'll finally ask Him. You see, we like to seek the hand of God. God, give me. And we're to seek the face of God. God, I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. As I mentioned, Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. Let me just show you one in John 14, 4. Listen to what it says. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay. I want some money. In the name of Jesus, give me money. Is that a magic phrase that makes God go, oh, he said in the name of Jesus. I've got to do it because you said in the name of Jesus. Is that, is that what they're talking about? Do we treat the name of Jesus like we just walk around and we say anything in the name of Jesus and he's got to, have to give it to us? Well, look at the next, look at the verse before. Let's set this verse in context. So if you ever hear somebody quote things that seem out of line with the rest of Scripture, always pause and wonder what's the context? What's the rest of Scripture say? 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That, my father, that the Father may be glorified by the Son. Here's, when we ask for things in the name of Jesus Christ, it's not about us saying magic word like, hey, if we say Jesus Christ, God will absolutely do what we ask of Him. It's not saying that at all. What it's saying is this. We want our heart so aligned with the heart of God that when we come and pray, we are praying for Jesus' will on earth to be done. Remember he said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're lining up with the will of God more and more in prayer. It's about God working on us and lining us up rather than us going, God, get on my agenda. So a pastor can pick a verse out of context and out of Scripture and bring great harm. It's always a fear. I always approach 
the pulpit with a bit of fear and trembling going, God, your word has got to speak, not the man. So God, speak your word. Let me, let me show you another verse. Uh, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, here's what happens. Your great delight is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your heart's delight. There's nothing greater than him. And if you delight yourself in him, that's the great desire of your heart, and he will give himself to you. He will be present with you. When you seek him, he will be there. When you knock, he will open. It's talking about our treasure being him. Delight being him. Look at John uh, 15, 7. It says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done with you. But if you're abiding in Christ, guess what you start to wish for? The things on God's heart. So you're going to say, Hey, I want what's got on God's heart. I'm going to mess this up if I ask for what my flesh wants. I'm asking, God, I want the things that are on your heart, not the things that are on my heart. So the key is abiding in Christ. Uh, 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to to his will. We line up with the will of God. God, as we move closer to Christ, as we spend more time with Christ, as we allow him to speak to us, the number one way God speaks to you is through this word, okay? I'll hear people all the time say, hey, I've been praying and God will speak to me in prayer. I don't deny that, but I believe the number one way, if you say God has told you something and it doesn't line up with his word, then I don't believe that's of God. God has spoken through his word. And he will not contradict himself. He's given us enough of what we need to live life here in his word. So as we get to know God both through prayer, crying out to him, spending time with him, hearing him speak to us through his word, our will comes in more in line with his will. Our heart becomes more the heart of Christ. It's about knowing him. Psalm 115.3 says this, Our God is in heaven and does as he pleases. God's in heaven and does as he pleases, so why do we even need to pray? God's gonna, will will be accomplished. We know one day he's coming back. We know one day every tribe, tongue, nation, people will gather, will worship him. We long for that day. We look forward to that day. Why pray if God is in control? Listen, this God is not only in control of the ends, what's going to happen in the end, He's also in control of the means. And the means with which He accomplishes His will is through His people in prayer. God uses us as we pray to line us up with His heart so that we can be a part of what He is doing here on earth. We line up with the heart of God more and more and more. So He says here, ask, seek, knock, What's the great treasure? It's to be with him. This week, one of my sons was sick, and we put him in a room by himself and said, you're in this room, stay in there, let us know if you need anything. And we heard hour after hour, I heard this, Mom, 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 I kept hearing this. And it wasn't so much what he needed, what he wanted was 
to be with his mom, for mom to come over there and be with him. That was the desire's mom. One day I was downstairs and he was upstairs and mom was outside and I hear it, mom, mom, mom. And then I hear feet coming down the steps. He's seeking. I've got to find her. I want to be with mom. Where is she? He's looking. One night we were asleep. And here he comes, tap on the door. And in he walks. Mom, mom. It's not so much the need. He wants to be with his mom. That's what we come to God in prayer with. That's the primary thing. We want to be with God more than we want him just giving us everything. We want to be with God. We long, we love God. We want to be in his presence. We want to dwell with him. We want to spend time with him. Jesus gives us two examples of this. Listen, verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? No father, if his son says, give me some bread, you're going to give him a stone. No good father would do that. But let's reverse this to help us out a little bit. What if your child asks you for a serpent? Would you give that to your child? Say, no, the serpent is dangerous. The serpent will kill you. I'm not giving you a serpent. If your son asks for a stone to eat, you're not going to give him a stone to eat. That's bad for you. You can't eat that. And here's our issue sometimes. We're saying, God, I want bread. But God's going, you're not asking for bread. That's actually a stone you're asking for. I'm not going to give it to you. God, God, I want some fish. And God's going, you're not really asking for fish. What you're asking for is a serpent. So I'm not going to give you that serpent. No, God is not going to give us that which harms us. You see, we don't need more stuff and things. We need more of God, more of his presence, to be with him more. I venture to say most of us here who've lived life for any length of time have gone through some hard seasons, things that are difficult. Some of you are in the midst of great difficulty right now. You carry that difficulty here today. You feel the pain. You're in a season of really hardship. That's where a lot of people are. And sometimes we just go, God, why won't you do something? God, why aren't you intervening? But here's what we also know. Some of you have walked through that season of hardship and you look back on it and you see how you drew near to Jesus, how you relied on him how he became your great source of strength and joy and comfort and how near you were to Jesus during that season. And though you would not want to go through that season again, you go, I wouldn't want to erase that season from my life either because God did something in drawing me to himself in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hardship. So here's the thing. God doesn't promise us that in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of hardship, that he's going to erase it all right now. But he'll be with you in it. Ask him, God, I need you. God, I don't know where you are. I'm going to seek you. I need you in the midst of this. God, I'm going to start knocking because I want you here. I want to know you're with me. I want to be with you. See, it's about us lining up with the heart of God as he works on our hearts. You know, I could pray today and say, hey, I'm praying for health today. 
And tomorrow, I could get a cancer diagnosis that would change my life and that could lead me to physical death. It's not anything we want or desire. But here's what I know. Christ has already given me everything I need in himself. Death has no sting. I'm not looking to die, but if that cancer diagnosis comes, I go, death has no sting. I will be present with the Lord. To be absent in this body is to be present with him. He will be with me. He's the great treasure. He is all I need. He is sufficient. It's one of the hard things for us to live with. Christ is enough. We go around acting like we need so much more than we really need. I need Christ. And each day the world's going to distract you. You need this. You need this. This needs a change. And you're going, I really need Christ today. I need to be with him. That's why our prayer life, guilting someone into prayer, saying, hey, make sure every day you check off that you've prayed. Hey, let's have special prayer times. Those aren't bad, but here's what we can miss so easily. The heart and the face of God Almighty. We pray to be with Him. To be with God Almighty. To commune with Him. To talk to Him. To know Him. Look at what verse 11 says. If you then who are evil. Boy, we don't like that. Nobody likes to be called evil. Scripture refers to us in our flesh as evil. Without Christ, that's what Scripture says. We, we are evil. And he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask Him. So sometimes you look at your life and you go, God, I don't understand. I don't see it. He's like, I'll be with you. I'll be present. I'll be sufficient. Just keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. I want to be with you in the midst of the storm. I want to be with you in the midst of the difficulty. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I was reading about a missionary named John Patton. John Patton wrote a book titled, You Will Be Eaten by Cannibals. Cannibal is a person who eats other people. He went and ministered in the islands of the South Pacific, in the New Hybrids Island, and one night his hut that he was living with was surrounded by cannibals. And he prayed, and he remembered this truth, I am with you always. And he slept on through the night. That's the type of relationship we want with God. God, there's trouble all around. God, there's pain and difficulty out there. The enemy's seeking. Destruction's coming. But you're with me. And because you're with me, I can rest. Because you're with me, I can have confidence and trust and I can find a peaceful rest in the midst of the great storm. Well, Jesus speaks the golden rule and says, do to others as you would have them do to you. And the great thing that we can give to one another is a life that's closely aligned with the heart of Christ, that's walking near Him, that's seeking His face. That's one of the greatest ways we can 
do to others what we'd want them to do to us. We'd want other people to be more like Christ, to be more aligned with Him. And He's pulling us into that here. We'll look a little more at that passage next week. So Lord, we know You examine our hearts. You see the parts of our heart that we can't even see. There is where selfish pride blinds us. Lord, our desire is for you. Our hunger is for you. Our passion is for you. Our need is for you. So Lord, we confess. Confess that we are a sinful people. Yet we are a sinful people who can rejoice because we've been made right with a holy God through Christ. So Lord, now as we come to take communion, may we be reminded of that word. You're a God who wants to commune with us. That's why you came here to be with us. That's why you sent your spirit to indwell us. You want to be with us. So may we draw near. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.